0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to Crisis of Crime. I'm Rachel Means, and I'm a criminologist. Thank you for joining me for my weekly podcast where I discuss topics in criminology and criminal justice reform. Today, I sat down with Jillian Teets, a biochemist and the host of the Sober Powered Podcast and Blog, to talk about addiction. I'm here today with Jillian Teets, host of Sober Powered Podcast and Blog. Thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing today, Jillian? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit more about yourself and how you came to study the biology of addiction. So
1: I have a bachelor's in chemistry and a master's in biology, and I'm a, I'm a biochemist um, during the day. And I also have struggled with alcohol and problem drinking for 7 years. Um I quit, so tomorrow is actually my 9 month soberversary. So I quit 9 months ago and and when I decided to quit drinking, I really wanted to understand like why why can't I drink like everybody else? What's different about me? So I started just reading and and learning everything I could and because of my degrees, I'm able to really dig into the literature and understand the different types of experiments that researchers have done. And and then after a few months of this, I felt like I should be sharing this information with everyone. And that's, that's the reason I started
0: my podcast. That's incredible. Congratulations. That's huge. Thank you. So why should we see addiction as an illness rather than a choice?
1: So I think that's a common misconception is that it's a choice and people are – choosing to drink that much or if they're using drugs choosing to use that much or use it all and once your drinking or drug use becomes a problem it stops being fun and it starts being something that you have to do and we're not actually having fun when we're doing it um so it's really not a choice. And a lot of people who struggle with this think for years how they want to get out of the loop and and they try and they can't. So they would even
0: like to not do it if they could choose. Mm. I think it's so important for everyone to hear that. So would you say that it's a process getting to that point or is it something that happens early on? Would it be like you start drinking and then you get to a point where you're now thinking, this isn't fun anymore and I need to get out of this loop?
1: For me personally, my drinking wasn't something that evolved. It was something that was really bad right from the first time that I really drank. Um, I know for a lot of people, they start off as a normal drinker and then it evolves. And once you cross that line to where you can't control it anymore where you say, I'm going to go out and have two and go home. And you just never do that, not even one time. That's when it stops being fun and you start experiencing a lot of shame and beating yourself up and feeling embarrassed about your actions. And and that definitely is not fun. All that shame is, is really debilitating.
0: Hmm. I can't imagine how hard that must be. Would you say that it's similar experiences for those dealing with substance abuse with alcohol versus those dealing with substance abuse with drugs?
1: Yeah, I think that's probably stronger depending on the drug that they choose. Um, Alcohol can take time to become something that you're physically addicted to or emotionally addicted to. Um, And I've been reading memoirs and trying to educate myself more on drug use because that is not something that I have personal experience with, but I'm I'm trying to learn more about it and and learn more about how people who have struggled with it think. And that um so like a hangover is basically withdrawal starting, but for harder drugs, like once when you're really deep into it, once you Come down from your high, your good feeling. You go like almost immediately into withdrawal, and that withdrawal is crippling, and it it gets worse and worse, and that drives people to to do the crazy things that they do to get more drugs. and And alcohol doesn't usually get that extreme because it's so accessible.
0: Hmm. So what is happening in someone's brain when they become addicted to a substance with the feeling of withdrawal and that they need more, and then the feeling that they get when they're able to have that substance again? What's going on with the biochemistry there? Yeah, so
1: when your brain gets used to having frequent presence of alcohol or other drugs, it adapts its chemistry to compensate for that. So Alcohol, for example, is a depressant and it acts on our inhibitory neurotransmitters to kind of just calm us down and bring us bring us down like our brain activity. And your brain will compensate and make it harder to get that calming feeling. So it will reduce the ability of the brain to relax. So when You're not drinking, a lot of people struggle with intense feelings of anxiety, and then they drink to calm their anxiety, but the anxiety is caused by the brain adaptations that occur to compensate for the drinking. So it's just like frequent presence of whatever it is you're doing, the brain thinks it's normal now, so it changes.
0: Hmm. So why is it important that we get rehabilitation for substance abuse rather than being forced to quit, such as when someone is sent to jail or prison?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, forcing somebody to stop by by putting them in jail, I mean, that that works while they're in jail because they can't do it. But when they get out, now they have access to it again. And if the person doesn't have Education or therapy or any help, they go right back to their old neighborhoods and their old friends. And it's very easy to just resume what they were doing because they didn't actually want to stop. They were forced to stop and now they don't have to.
0: So, what is happening in the rehabilitation process that's helping individuals overcome an addiction to a substance?
1: I think therapy and Just general education help, meetings help, um, just any kind of support. I know some people go to prison and then they come out and they transition to a sober living home and that helps them adjust and maintain their sobriety and they're, they're around others who completely understand what they're going through. So I think just general support, not being forced to stop doing what they're doing just because they're in jail and then when they get out they're just kind of let out. I think there needs to be um, there needs to be support, like like help to understand why you want to do what you're doing, why you don't want to do it anymore. So I think therapy or, or counseling or meetings are are really important and they're free.
0: According to the Marshall Project Forced abstinence by enacting a prison sentence and not providing any form of rehabilitation causes inmates' tolerance for the substance to go down, while their cravings go up. Because of this, inmates who struggle with substance abuse are 12 times more likely to die within the first two weeks of release from prison or jail, and 129 times more likely to die of an overdose compared to those in the general population. A better alternative to forced abstinence in prison would be to provide substance abuse rehabilitation programs within the prisons, such as programs offering methadone and Suboxone as a treatment for opioid addiction. It may seem counterintuitive to rehabilitate a drug addict by using more drugs, so let's take a look at why clinics do this. If someone were to be abusing heroin, they would likely take it by snorting it or injecting it. It would immediately cause an intense rush and it would later be followed by an equally intense crash, leaving the individual wanting more. Methadone and Suboxone, on the other hand, are administered under controlled conditions, such as at a clinic, and they have a gradual release, creating a stable amount of the drug in the brain. Therefore, there is no rush and there is no crash. Using this method, individuals can slowly taper down off the substances. Methods like these combined with a support system and counseling have been proven effective in the treatment of substance abuse. Unfortunately, though, at this time, only 23 out of the 3,200 jails in the United States provide programs where they offer Suboxone and Methadone. There's a program in Gloucester, Massachusetts called the Angel Initiative, and what they do is they tell individuals struggling with illegal substance abuse that they can come to the police station with any of their drug paraphernalia, and they can surrender it, and they will immediately be taken to a local clinic to begin receiving treatment for substance abuse. Uh, So those seeking treatment won't be arrested, charged, or jailed. Um, and this program was able to help around 400 individuals in one calendar year. So what are your thoughts on a program like this? Do you think that people in general will trust a program like this that is run by police departments, or do you think that they may fear retribution still?
1: I think that's amazing, and that builds trust. Just the fact that they've helped 400 people in one year means that they could help you too, and a big reason that people stay stuck Doing drugs or drinking is because of all the shame associated with it and the stigma. And I think programs like this, no questions asked, will get you help. I think those are really important.
0: I know the best cure would be prevention, so stopping the cycle before it even begins. What would you see as an effective prevention program, or do you think that that's something that's even possible?
1: I think prevention is really hard. Um, So for alcohol specifically, it's it's really 50-50 nature versus nurture. So some of it is, is a genetic component, makes you more susceptible to developing an addiction. And it's also how you grow up, what your parents are doing, who your friends are. So I think it starts really in childhood, um, just exposing kids to healthy relationships and parents – having healthy habits and taking good care of themselves even. So I think that's really key.
0: I think it's great that you brought up that prevention can start in childhood. There are a lot of theories in criminology that talk about how social learning and our environments and the people that we're around can influence our tendencies to offend as children and adults. So should parents be talking to their children about substance abuse if they are predisposed to it, such as if one of the parents has struggled with it in the past?
1: I think if a parent struggled with it and they have overcome it, they should definitely let their children know. I think the danger comes when a parent is actively struggling with it and their child is witnessing it. Um, So that, for the most part, can go in two pretty severe directions. Either the child never wants to have anything to do with that kind of world or they end up being just like their parent and doing the same behavior. So I think it really comes down a lot to parents and their relationship with addictions um, because kids do see and, and learn a lot, even if we're not aware that they're learning. They are all the time.
0: That is absolutely true. Children pick up on so much more than we give them credit for. So there are theories in criminology, such as the trait theory, that talk about how we may have biological factors that cause us to develop certain behaviors that make us at a higher risk for offending, such as low arousal, sensation seeking, and impulsivity. I would guess that certain biological factors also increase your risk of abusing substances. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, there definitely is a a big genetics component um for alcohol specifically. Even just how you process alcohol in your body can be either seen as protective or a risk factor for developing a problem. So if you drink and you feel horrible while you're drinking, you're probably not going to drink that much. But if you drink and you you process it well and you don't really feel terrible, then it's easy for you to drink more. So I think genetics
0: are very, very important. Mm, Thank you. Such good information for people, especially young people to be aware of. So what are your thoughts on decriminalizing drug use? So we wouldn't be criminally charging anyone for illegal drug use. Do you think that would be beneficial in helping people overcome substance abuse?
1: I think that's a hard question because if you decriminalize something, then you're saying it's kind of okay for you to do it. Um, so that, that's a really hard question. I think that if people commit a crime – then they should be charged for the crime, like if they drive drunk or they they rob a store to get money. I think they did do that crime, um, but just for drug use, I think that's really tough because if you decriminalize it, you're kind of saying it's okay. So I see, I really see both sides of it. Um, I'd also be interested in your opinion on that question.
0: Yeah, so I think the biggest factor for me is the difference between decriminalization and legalization. So when we decriminalize something, we're no longer subjecting it to criminal charges, but we can subject people to civil charges. So someone may not be criminally charged with drug possession and sent to jail, but they could be court mandated to go to a substance abuse rehabilitation program through civil charges. So I think having that in place would be beneficial. I think legalizing would be detrimental. Like you were saying, people would see drug use as okay, and we would have a lot more instances of drug-related crimes, such as DUIs and thefts. But it's kind of like a give and take. So if you decriminalize but you don't legalize, you still have the issue of drug trafficking and drug sales because people are still going to be seeking it. And if you legalize, you get rid of the drug trafficking and the sales problem, because we're going to now be manufacturing and selling and distributing all that stuff locally. But now you have a larger amount of individuals who are addicted to substances. So I agree with you that it's, it's not a simple answer. Um, I don't think it's going to be as easy as just, you know, decriminalizing it.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And I think just for drug possession, sending them straight to prison, I, sometimes people can come out worse than when they went in. And that really doesn't help them in any way. I think I think getting someone's support and recognizing like that drugs are a serious issue or alcohol is a serious issue and, and trying to help people before just locking them up, I think that would be a good strategy that we could
0: adopt as a society mm Absolutely. All right. So that's all the questions I have for you. Do you have any final thoughts?
1: I think we're improving over time. Um, maybe about 100 years ago, people struggling with addiction were just locked away in mental institutions or thrown in jail, and it was just considered a, a crime and a moral failing. So I think we are learning and adapting as a society. It just... It takes time and, and the question you asked at the beginning of our conversation about a choice, I think that is a general misconception that people are choosing to do it and they could just choose not to do it. So I think having more compassion would would help speed up um, treatment progression and get more people the help that they
0: need. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, we could all definitely benefit from being a little bit more compassionate with each other. I've been chatting with Jillian Teets, host of the Sober Powered Podcast and Blog. Be sure to check out her content. I've put a link to our website in the description below. Thank you so much for being here today, Jillian.
1: Thank you so much for having me on your show.
0: We have a long way to go in this country when it comes to combating substance abuse, and much like prostitution, criminalizing it is not helping. As I've spoken about in previous episodes, specifically the one on war on drugs, it's going to take a multidisciplinary approach and funding for social programming for us to really see change. We need more programs like the Angel Initiative in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Another good example would be Brooks House in Hagerstown, Maryland. I put links to these programs in the description below if you'd like to read more. And of course, we need more rehabilitation programs in jails and prisons. Luckily, we have people like Jillian Teets who are using their experience to raise awareness about addiction and how it needs to be treated as an illness and not a crime. What I love about Jillian's story is that she's a survivor. She's an inspiration to others who may feel like they'll never be able to overcome their addiction. But it's like she said, if we can support each other and be more compassionate, we can help end the cycle of substance abuse. Thank you everyone for listening today. If you'd like to share your thoughts on today's episode, you can find me on Twitter at crisisofcrime, or you can visit crisisofcrime.com and send me a message under the contact tab. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider supporting Crisis of Crime through Patreon. I hope you all have a great week, and until next time, this has been Crisis of Crime.